welcome to VB Engage, episode 58. My name is Stuart Rogers. I'm with VentureBeat. And as ever, I am joined by the author of Digital Sense. In fact, he gave me a signed copy this week and wrote a really schmoozy note inside it for me. The man, the myth, the legend, Travis Wright. Travis, how you doing, man? Oh, man, I'm doing awesome, Mr. Stuart Rogers. This is the second book that I sent you. The first one apparently got lost in the post. Well, we say lost in the post, but I'm pretty sure you just didn't send it to me. I did also notice, well, though, this week that there's an audiobook version of this, which is awesome. But they didn't tell me it was coming, which is hilarious. They said, you're actually not getting an audiobook. And then... I noticed that two weeks ago it popped up on Amazon, but didn't hear about that until I noticed it myself, which is really great marketing. <laughs> they should almost read Seems, Digital Sense, yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Maybe the publisher needs to read Digital Sense. Thank you so much for the book, man. It's really, uh, really cool. And the reason that, of course, you gave me the book is because we were, once again, in person. We were actually together, this time in Vancouver, at the rather wonderful, and I, I do really, really mean that, CTA conference put on by Unbounce this year. Yeah, this is the uh, fourth country that you and I have hung out in. Well, we've done, in terms of cities, we've done London, we've done Lisbon, uh, we have done San Francisco, and we have done Vancouver. We are international, folks. <laughs> it was awesome to see you, and you're right. The speakers that were at this conference, if you're in marketing, you want to tune into this because the quality of content there was fabulous. And what we were able to do while we were there, we were able to interview multiple speakers there. We were able to talk to Rand Fishkin, who is phenomenal, arguably one of the top minds in SEO, if not the top mind in SEO. Uh, Mari Smith, the queen of Facebook. We were able to chat with Will Reynolds, who has such a brilliant mind uh, around uh, search and, and, and PPC. We were able to chat with Scott Stratton uh, of Unmarketing fame, and we were able to interview Ollie Gardner center stage in front of 1,200 plus people there at the conference, which was fantastic. It's always fun to take VB Engage live on stage. We did it at Web Summit, and uh, we did it at CTA Conf. And uh, Ollie was uh, fantastic value, as usual. It was really, really awesome. We had a, a lot of fun. And you'll get to hear those episodes real soon. So you'll hear the entire Unbounce CTA conference set of episodes, all five back-to-back, -back, one per week, as per usual, starting with uh, Ollie Gardner's on-stage episode. So you get the buzz of the, of the stage and everything else in the audio. We're going to bring that to you real soon. But I guess we should talk about what's been in the news this week as well, Travis, not just our travels around the world, right? The first thing, I guess, on our plate today was interesting to see that Adobe has launched voice analytics for conversational UI platforms, right? Siri, Alexa, and other of those intelligent assistants. Now the Adobe Analytics Cloud is going to start tracking the performance of those intelligent assistants. Google Assistant, Cortana, Samsung Bixby, voice analytics and conversational computing analytics is here. It is. It's absolutely right. Yeah, you've already said it's, it's part of the Adobe Analytics Cloud. For those who don't know, Adobe went through kind of a rebranding with their different products and services and they put them into three functional clouds. So you've got the marketing cloud, you've got the creative cloud, and you've got the analytics cloud. And, and it's all part of their entire experience cloud, right? You've got those three all under that, uh, that one roof. And the analytics cloud is the one that pulls the data in from everywhere, not just from marketing, but also from the creative side of things as well. It brings it in from every single side of what Adobe have to offer. And now, 
they're able to do really, really smart things with tracking what is going on through these intelligent assistants and pulling out KPIs and metrics for marketers to be able to understand exactly how they're being used and what's working, what's not working. So things like, you know, number of users, number of sessions, how long the session is, and importantly, the error rate. That's the one that, you know, I think is really important. Frequency of use and error rate, two very important things, because you want to know if people are coming back to your assistant or not, and then you want to know whether it's getting it right or not. That is two very, very important metrics for conversational UI, wouldn't you say, Travis? Well, I would say, and that's one of my challenges with conversational UI, is that I'm asking you to do a certain thing. It's like, sorry, I don't understand what you mean. I'm like, what, really? All right, let me say it again. That error rate is very frustrating, so I'm glad that they're going to be able to uh, figure that out. And they did say that, probably no surprise to most, that Voice Labs, they did a a study on this, and they found that more than 40% of smart speaker owners are regularly using it specifically for music. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, that was fascinating. Another really interesting thing that was in the news this week, um, actually two pieces of news from the behemoth that is Google. In the first one, Travis, is that they want to bring advertising and virtual reality together. So very, very interesting. Google actually debuted a project this week. And what they were showing was this project to show online ads in a virtual reality space. Now, this is all part of a workshop that Google has called uh, Area 120. And what they use that for, Area 120, is basically uh, a space where employees can like test new ideas really quickly and, and see if they can turn them into products. And they're doing this in a very like alpha way. This is all like minimum viable product stuff right now. But it's a message of intent that Google is taking advertising within VR seriously. And when somebody like Google takes advertising in VR seriously, you know that we're getting to the point where there are enough people using VR, not just owning it, using it, that it makes sense for them to go down this route. Google gets the bulk of their revenue from online advertising. So you know their brains are going, okay, in this AR, VR world, how do we make ads more prevalent? And from our first initial thoughts on this, we've been kind of joking back and forth because their very first foray into this, it's a small cube. A small cube with corporate logos adorning all six sides. How adorable is that? It's when it's like, oh, avoid that. You don't, <laughs> you don't want to click that right there. Where's my ad blocker? Where's your cube blocker? You know, you can see that with VR, obviously, product placement's going to be huge. When I'm in VR, I'm not going to have searcher's intent. I don't believe I'm going to be looking for Uh, any solution for my real reality. There might be instances whenever I'm in a virtual reality game or something where I'm searching for something within the game where I need, I have some intent with that, but you don't really have searcher or, or buyer's intent when you're on Facebook most of the time. Although I do buy a lot of stuff from Facebook ads because they're so highly targeted. So I guess it would really matter depending on how targeted these are um, will depend on how successful they are, but if it's in a nice little cube, it most likely will probably be ignored. Have we heard anything of what they're doing with AR advertising? Have they released anything along those lines yet? Nothing as yet, and this is all very, very early stage. As I say, this is within uh, you know Area 120. It's all very MVP, but uh, and they haven't said if there's going to be any anything here. If it's cross-platform, you know, is is this just within Daydream or is it going to be on Oculus, HTC, Sony, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, just the fact that they've signaled their intent is is really interesting, and it's not the only piece of, of news from Google this week as well, right? And 
Funnily enough, the second piece of news could actually be used to unravel the first piece of news. So we're talking about get your ad blockers ready to get rid of the cube. Well, funnily enough, Google actually has released, and this is not testbed, this is a full-blown release product, Cloud Video Intelligence API. Now, what is amazing about this, this is now available in, in public beta, so anybody can go in and uh, you know do some fun stuff with this. This is a solution that allows you using AI technology, so using it's AI powered, it's the same kind of technology that is used with still photos to determine, you know, this is a picture of food, this is a picture of a fish, here's a cat, you know, so on and so forth. But this is doing it in video. So this is able to detect objects and it supports 10,000 different entities. So it can label these things up automatically and it knows, for example, the difference between breakfast cereal versus just breakfast. Why do I say it could unravel the advertising thing? Well, you know, if we are going to end up with ad blockers within a virtual reality environment, we need to know what is an ad and what is not an ad. Technology like this could actually be used to determine what is an ad in the first place and help to block the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. And one of their big use cases for this right now is, you know, Google's safe search. You know, as you said, hey, I'm under the age of 18 or whatever, you need to be safe search or your kids are searching. Currently, it wasn't very good at detecting adult content. And now with this new Vision API thing, it's shown a 30% reduction in errors on that safe search. So they're able to identify adult content. It's becoming better at reading human emotions. It was several episodes ago, but we were talking about how I was watching an episode of Friends and Joey had on a really cool jacket. And I was like, dude, that's a really cool jacket Joey is wearing. I wonder what it is. And then you could never, never figure out what it is. Well, now when you're using this sort of AI and video, they're going to be able to identify different products. Most likely, they've not mentioned this, but this would make sense. This will be a way that they can actually sell what people are seeing within these videos or in, I would assume, down the road VR or AR. You're going, you know, little triggers can pop up and be like, oh, this is the buy this, click. You know, everybody's competing with Amazon, right? I mean, at least in the e-commerce space. I mean, that's the big 800-pound gorilla. And imagine if you have on some Google AR glasses and you're looking around and you see things and if you like it, you could literally click to buy it. I mean, that might be something that pops up down the road with this type of technology, right? There's no reason why with something like Cloud Video Intelligence API that, you know, whilst right now it's there to determine, you know, the difference between a a cat and a dog and all that kind of stuff and breakfast cereal versus breakfast and everything else, there's no reason why this couldn't be used to take a look at some clothes or shoes or whatever, uh, you know, are in a video and then use that in the same way that you have a recommendation engine within Amazon and, and other you know, e-commerce sites. Basically take that and find the closest matches to that and offer them up as possible options, right? It's a kind of a, a buy the look situation, but instead of buying the look from a still image, you're actually able to see it being worn, being, you know, people moving around with that, with those clothes, with that apparel. And, and then you can buy the closest thing to it, like the, uh, you know, the $35 H&M version, right, for example. Right, yeah. And, you know, Pinterest has a really cool visual search component that I noticed recently. I don't use Pinterest a whole lot, but I saw the presentation at the MarTech conference. They have over 2 billion searches a month popping up on Pinterest, and they're able to use that sort of visual search to click on things to, to be able to identify that. I don't know how many times I've been walking down the street and be like, oh my God, that is a badass shirt that dude has on. That is awesome. I would totally rock that shirt. And then the person just passed. Now it's going to be awkward to go run there and see about the shirt. But if you actually had 
you know, this capability built into AR, you're going to be able to like, oh, this is this shirt by Dolce & Gabbana or blah, blah, blah. You can click it and <laughs> swipe and buy it right from your visual interface. And I've told you so many times, can you stop just shouting at people when they're walking down the street? It's very awkward. It is all right? awkward. It's very, very I, awkward. i got to work on my charm. We'll work on it together. I'll, I'll fix you. Um, hey, listen, <laughs> Travis, we better get into our interview, right? Um, we have one of the most fascinating interviews. Um, you know, I, I last saw this person in real life at one of our big events um, in San Francisco, VentureBeat Summit um, or uh, you know, Mobile Beat or one of, one of our uh, awesome events at VentureBeat, Rishi Dave. Uh, he was one of our moderators at a boardroom session. What this guy doesn't know about marketing technology, you could write on a postage stamp. You know, he's he's so incredibly knowledgeable about the entire industry. So uh, we should probably have a chat with him. What do you think? Let's get into it right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great interview with us today. We have the Chief Marketing Officer of Dun & Bradstreet, Rishi Dave. Welcome to VB Engage, good sir. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's awesome to see you. I'm only looking at you through a piece of glass and via LCD. It was nice to meet you in person a couple of years back at one of our uh, one of our events when you were uh, moderating one of our boardroom sessions. So thank you for that. One of my things, Rishi, is I really like the fact that you call yourself actually a chief madness officer instead of a chief marketing officer. That's one of my favorite things about you. Because Thank you. Let's be, let's be honest, marketing can quite often be just pure madness. Travis and I this year on VB Engage have been talking a lot about artificial intelligence. And one of the things that keeps on coming up is that if the AI is going to actually look after the stuff that we've been asking marketers to do um, recently. So we've been asking marketers to become technologists and have all of this IT money, right, that used to go to the IT people. We're giving it to the chief marketing officer and saying, here, not only do you have to do marketing, you've also got to do technology and you've also got to show us on the bottom line where you're actually getting results. Now, AI potentially solves the technology and the results issues, leaving marketers to get back to actually being creative and dynamic, which is what their right brains love to do, right? So are we getting close to getting away from the madness of marketing and getting back to um, being able to be creative and dynamic because of AI, or do we still have a long way to go? I think we have a long way to go. It would be wonderful if uh, you know we had the opportunity to leverage artificial intelligence to make our lives easier as marketers and reduce the madness. But you know we have a lot of fundamental issues that we as marketers have not even begun to tackle before we even think of AI. So let me give you an example. Data quality. <laughs> you can't even do AI or build AI models or even the first step, which is simple models uh, or uh, you know, predictive models, et cetera, if you don't even have or understand your data, where it's coming from, if you're not integrating your data, not cleaning your data, you need that base level of data before you can even build those models. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about AI, but unless you have good, clean, integrated data and you understand your data, you'll never get the full value out of your modeling and your AI. And I think even today, marketers are not even thinking about their data enough. They're outsourcing it to IT. And I think that's a fundamental thing we need to understand and get a hold of to get the full value of automation and AI. 
And that's one of the things you guys have been have been focusing on over there at Dun & Bradstreet is the collection of that data. So, I mean, Dun & Bradstreet's been around for a very long time, and Hoover's is, has been around for a long time. But you guys have recently done some acquisitions to power up the data that you guys have had, right? So what I found is interesting about the, about the platform is not only being able to see the organizational chart like you used to be able to do, but now the, the deep data of all their emails and all who they report to and all this other stuff. How has some of these acquisitions helped enhance your data that you guys are utilizing? If I could build off what I had said before, I think of it in three ways. One is let's start with the actual data itself. Let's make sure that we have clean, integrated data. So we think a lot about master data, which, again, market is not thinking enough about, which is how do you leverage third-party data that's correct, bring it into your enterprise, and use that to match, link, and clean up your existing data. One of the acquisitions we did a while back was a company called Net Prospects, which allowed us to match both the company data with the actual people data and emails and phone numbers and things like that. And so that provided a better master data set that corporations can use to integrate their existing data, clean up their existing data, and also add to their existing data. And the DUNS number, which is the ID, is the kind of unifying mechanism for all those data points. Secondly, when you have that clean data oriented around an ID number like the DUNS number, then you have to think about what models do I build on the data to get the insights um, that we alluded to earlier so that we can actually use the data. The third piece is once we have those insights, how do we actually surface those insights to the right people within the corporation in a way with context that they can actually action it? And so I think that when we talk in general, we talk a lot about that second step which is the modeling and the AI, but we never talk about the first step, clean the data, and the third step of surfacing that data in a way that we can get insights. So an example is we acquired a company called Avention, which we ultimately took their interface and connected our data into it. And what that interface essentially does is allows us to surface the data in real time with context to the sales teams in whatever system they use, whether it's Salesforce or whether it's our own system, so that they can take action on it. And it's just the first step. We're going to continue to evolve that. You can imagine a future world where this data and these insights are being surfaced to the exact right person at the right time, right when they need it, whether they're in marketing, they're in sales, they're in customer support, or they're in another function. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. I mean, this is the biggest issue that I think you know, we have with, with AI in general, that every single week we're covering an AI-powered marketing technology or something that's using machine learning in really interesting ways. But none of that matters unless we have good quality data and the right data in the first place. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're, you know, using machine learning models over bad data, you're just going to get bad results. I mean, it's, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. But that being said, the, the promise is there. I mean, I've seen technologies that can do really smart stuff, uh, like create you know a million pieces of creative and then serve them and A-B split test them based on segmentation and, and personalization data so that you know we can build the very best possible experience for the customer with the highest conversion rates. You know, and that's the kind of thing that a human being just can't do. 
what's really nice about that is it does get us closer to that marketers being able to be dynamic and marketers being able to be creative and keep pushing against the wall until they find the bit that breaks and then go through it and search forth and, and come up with amazing campaigns and that kind of thing. And that does fill me with a little bit of hope. But, you know, beyond AI, what can marketers be doing now to really start getting back to being good marketers? And how can they do that versus all the pressures that they've got to, you know, still put in these marketing technologies to, to run them like projects to understand, you know, Scrum and Agile and all that kind of stuff and all the things that the marketers are not actually necessarily best built for. You know, what are the best practices uh, for really handling stuff right now in the real world before we get to that new AI future? The biggest thing marketers can do is accept that it's going to happen and think a lot about the change management that you need within your organization to take advantage of the new technologies, the automation, as well as that whole test and learn methodology of bringing new technologies in, seeing what works, and then jettisoning what doesn't work and scaling what does work. So I'll give you a couple quick examples. One is that within my own organization, one thing that I did was I am hiring specialists because marketing is madness, as you said, and we need specialists. I have you know amazing data and analytics specialists, marketing tech specialists, creative content, and so on and so forth. Here's the challenge, is that as you hire these experts, they like to work within their silo more so than ever before, which is different than the previous model of marketing where people were much more general, much more creative, and were thinking much more holistically. What I've had to do to kind of return to the old world that you're describing, which is now becoming new again, is um, we have been creating what I, what I call tiger teams. They're not tiger teams in the traditional sense, but I've been creating cross-functional teams across these silos in service of particular customers and personas. And I've been metricing pipeline, close rate sales by those tiger teams so that they're working together in service of creating an integrated experience for that end customer versus working in their silo, which is the natural inclination when you're hiring specialists. And so What's the one thing marketers can do, especially CMOs, is start to create those processes that take advantage of all these changes, don't just rely on the technology. And I'll be honest, like when we first did this structure, it was a total disaster, right? People weren't used to it, didn't always have the right people in place. Some of these teams worked really well, some of them worked really poorly, et cetera, et cetera. Over time, we learned and we made them more streamlined, more better, and they've been very effective. It's also changed the type of people we hire, too, which is we want people who are not just specialists, but also will work across and collaborate as well. All those kind of things become increasingly important in this new world. So you're talking about how people within your marketing organization, the specialists, typically like to be in their own silo because they're an expert and they like to do things their way and they're the they're the subject you know matter expert in that particular topic how do organizations 
break down that silo between marketing and sales because that's such a big silo within a lot of organizations because you're all on the same team. I always look at it as we're all on the same team, right? Marketing is trying to market into the comp- into the companies that sales has identified as their top targets, especially if you're in B2B. B2C is a whole other different beast, but I typically work with, with B2B companies. And so I look at that and I go, well, have you communicated with your sales team? Like, what, what are your top 20 accounts you're trying to go after? And they're like, well, let me get to that. And like, okay, well, how do you not have that already? Like, do you not, are you guys not working together? You guys not marketing? So what are some tricks or some tips that you might give organizations that where they have this big sort of continental divide between sales and marketing? Let me answer the first question is, how do you know if you have effective sales and marketing alignment in the first place? That's an easy answer, and you alluded to it. It's unclear where sales job ends and where marketing job begins, and vice versa. When you have a blurred line between sales and marketing, that's when you know you have effective alignment between the sales team and the marketing team around the core accounts. Now, to answer your question directly, you know, initially, when, when, I, when, I, when I started leading this team, I focused on pipeline. The challenge is pipeline doesn't pay the bills. You know, we don't report pipeline out to the street or to our investors. Sales does. And the best way, I believe, besides all the process stuff, which I'll talk to about in a second, is marketing has to metric itself on sales in the same way that sales marketed metrics itself on sales. That is critical. So when I talked about these Tiger teams, they are responsible for pipeline, but also uh, close rates and sales as well. So when we have those joint metrics that are based on bottom line sales, that's the most powerful way to have alignment. Now, obviously, you need to have processes behind that to make that alignment happen. When we prioritize accounts, we obviously use the analytics where we say uh, predictive analytics, lookalike modeling, here are the big accounts, and here are the biggest opportunities within the accounts. But that's not where it ends. We work very closely with sales to get their qualitative perspective on the account prioritization and additional perspective, and we jointly decide these are the big accounts, this is who we're going to go after, and then we go after them together. So there are cases where marketing gets involved very late stage, simply because it's a big account, and sales could use the help, even though in the old world, sales would just take care of all the late stage stuff. And so that blurred line, that joint planning and working together and processes, joint privatizations, that's critical from a process perspective to get alignment as well as the metric alignment. So we have all this intelligence about the people, the organization, who they are, all these other data points. And that's also look into the future a little bit, right? Because AR and VR, mixed reality, that's coming. Facebook already can identify who people are within pictures. How soon is it going to be until we have these AR glasses that is tapped into data like Dun and Bradstreet, tapping into facial recognition, where I can literally be walking down the street and see somebody and be like, oh, that's Stuart Rogers. He works here, and this is this, and and here's his social feed. And like, You're going to know all this information about somebody, it seems to me, here in the near future, just by looking at them and having your AR glasses on, right? Definitely. Those of you who follow me on Twitter know that I'm a science fiction obsessed, and I talk a lot about science fiction on Twitter. So this is not science fiction. Right. <laughs> I think as soon as it becomes socially acceptable to wear those kind of glasses or the glasses become reasonable to wear, it can happen pretty fast. I think that what Elon Musk is doing with Neuralink 
we're getting close on that stuff. It's scary in, in our ability to actually connect with the cloud. We're not that far away from that. You know, I, for one, I'm looking forward to the internet connection directly into my brain. Uh, as everybody knows, it's, it's part of my retirement plan. You know, I'm planning on going <laughs> on every game show in the world, like who wants to be a millionaire and hope that Wikipedia is up to date that day. So, yeah. you know, that's the thing, the general I, idea. But, um, I, I always got to make sure to let Stuart know not to buy first generation of that technology, though. I want to wait. <laughs> I want to wait until second gen, maybe maybe 2.1. Maybe get some well, patches in there. <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I'm fully aware that I'm opening myself up to a DDoS attack. But, you know, I mean, what, what the heck? I mean, yeah, you don't, open up that right? Google, so, don't open up that Google Doc attachment. Do not open up that Google Doc. Um, <laughs> well, Travis, Travis, you know the funny thing about what you just said? If you read about what Elon Musk is doing with Neuralink, right? Like, he's arguing that you've already done generation one of that technology. It's called your phone. It's just slow. It's already become the next layer in your brain. It's just a question of time before it actually goes away. I'll go on Gen 3 then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, um, Rishi, you know, we could talk to you all day, frankly, but, uh, you know, unfortunately we have to have a time limit on our podcasts and that time is up. So uh, I just want to say huge thank you so much for joining us today on VB Engage. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And where can people connect with you online? My Twitter is Rishi P. Dave. So that's at R-I-S-H-I-P-D-A-V-E. Again, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much to Rishi Dave of Dun & Bradstreet for jumping on. That was a fascinating, fascinating interview there. Account-based marketing, all that data and that database over there, amazing stuff. If that is your jam, go check it out. Last week, if you missed the episode, we had Damian Mahoney on. He is the CEO of Stackla, which is a user-generated content platform using AI and some machine learning in there to identify stuff and also be able to utilize user-generated content within advertising, right? Have your customers sell for you. That was a great interview. And next week, we have the one and only Ben Parr. He is the CEO and founder of Octane AI, which is helping commercialize and build chatbots for Facebook, which is, that was a fascinating interview. You're going to love that. Big fan of Ben. He is an awesome dude. I guess that's that, right? This has been episode 58 of VB Engage. For Travis Wright, goodbye. Uh, for Stuart Rogers, it's Bihatarete. We'll see you guys next week.